the Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the week six college football betting preview. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, is Colin Wilson. I have a lot to get to for this weekend. Lots and lots of quarterback uncertainty across the board, especially in the big games. Uh, Colin, what's going on? I think you said in our company Slack, like I'm checking 20 quarterback concussions. You know what's you know what's better is tracking a hurricane and predicting weather. These coaches love to hold their cards. These quarterback situations are mind-boggling. We'll get some Friday night lights here in just a sec. Bring back look ahead, look away. We'll cover four marquee games. Cover four more in the rundown. And I'm gonna take out the trash, obviously. <laughs> I think I got four or five last weekend. It's a great weekend. Hopefully we can repeat it. And we're going to try and get to the window with some dumpster diving. But I do first want to give a heads up to our listeners out there. Today is the start of the MLB playoffs. That means Action Network's baseball betting podcast, Payoff Pitch. Great crew. We'll have new playoff best bet episodes basically every weekday through the World Series. So if you want to bet some playoff baseball, check out the Payoff Pitch podcast presented by our friends at BetMGM. They, they do a tremendous job. Love listening to Zerillo and company. Um, you will be smarter and most likely make money along the way if you're into the baseball playoffs, which I can't wait for. I was exhausted by the end of this meaningless MLB season. All right, let's hop right in to our first segment and talk some Friday night lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Let's go play some football. Well, there's four games. I don't know if I'm going to subject anybody to talking Nebraska at Rutgers, Con, unless you have a take. <laughs> you have to back Rutgers at three and a half, four. Uh, the big difference in special teams. The Cornhuskers can't defend anything. So Rutgers at three and a half or four has value. I can't say that I'm going to play it, though. You said you have to bet Rutgers. No, you don't. You don't have to bet Rutgers. You don't have to bet Nebraska. You don't have to bet this game. We'll see just how bad the Nebraska defense is against this Rutgers offense. Hard pass. Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. Uh, But let's talk the other three games, which I do think that there are some things worth betting. We got really good feedback, by the way, on the new format for the new BCS with myself, Colin, and Brett McMurphy, which comes out every Tuesday talk some betting takeaways from the weekend, look ahead to some betting things. And it's a really fun episode every week. I talked about Colorado state who might be, I think it's going to be without their starting quarterback here, but I don't think it really matters. Uh, I think their backup is, is fine. There's not much of a downgrade. He knows the system. They're coming off a bye week has been able to run with the ones based in my handicap. And this is going to be, look, it's an awful game between two of the worst teams, but it'll be fun to watch because these two teams hate each other because 
Jay Norvell left Nevada, went to Colorado State, took 10 players with him, took some of the staff. Ken Wilson, the new Nevada coach, has been coming at him in the press this week. You have players that are on Colorado State replying to his tweet saying uh, about his quote saying, that's not true, you're lying. So these teams definitely don't like each other. My handicap is simple here. These are two dumpster fires, the theme of the last, past two weeks. These are two awful teams. I think it's basically a coin flip. Colorado State has been unbettable, unbackable all season because of their offensive line issues. You know, there's a new air raid. They're also, you know, breaking in a new scheme. Well, you're coming off of a bye. You've had four games. And so th- there should be a little bit more continuity. You're also going up against a bad defense. And more importantly, they should be getting everyone on the offensive line back. Like they lost a bunch of starters. They were playing with backups that just weren't cutting it. I've been been sacked 24 times, which is most in the country by far. Can't run an air raid if you have zero seconds to throw. So with the offensive line being now healthy, two weeks to prepare, four games under the belt with a brand new scheme. And I'm talking brand new, 180 from what they ran last year. I think you'll see some improvement. Am I confident Colorado State's going to win this game? No. Could they lose by 30? Sure. Could Nevada lose by 30? Sure. But I just think it's a coin flip between two garbage teams. Uh, I'll take the hook here. You know, you mentioned the quarterback play, but how much does it hurt to lose Clay Millen? He's got double the turnover-worthy plays, and he does big-time throws. And Ken Wilson's just throwing fire at Jay Norvell. Uh, you know, who tells, you know, players to skip a bowl? Who tells players just to head on to the NFL and – uh, but I don't know if that's going to translate to a fired up Nevada team here at home because the spread's too high. You're right. I make it a pick. It should be a pick. Number says to buy Colorado State stuck, but they're near dead last in offensive finishing drives. Their special teams is 115th Colorado State. Like I'm just looking for signs of life to try to back this team. And, you know, Nevada is like top 20 in, in special teams right now. So at least there's a little bit of advantage there. I think some points are going to be scored. Yeah, their kickers out for their, I think their kicker's out for the year. Yeah, and yeah. He's like their best player. <clears throat> so, which I, I think points will be scored because maybe you're going forward on fourth downs. Maybe you're going for touchdowns instead of kick kicks. So, you know, I, I think that we've reached the bottom of where the steam is going on the total. So I'll probably be on the game, but probably more on the over than I would be with you on Colorado State. Well, if you're listening, come swimming in the dumpster with me. <clears throat> We're going with the Rams. Uh, all right, another game Friday night, Houston at Memphis. Memphis, two-and-a-half-point favorite, over under 57-and-a-half. I dug into this game, unfortunately. My life is sad. Uh, <laughs> for about an hour last night at 3 in the morning. <clears throat> and I was th- thinking I was going to bet Memphis. I'm betting Houston here. And I'm sad about it, trust me. Hopefully it doesn't go to overtime and Dana doesn't take the ball first. You know, when you look at these two teams, Houston has been – there's just something that's been off – and they did lose their sack leader, one of their best defensive linemen for the season. But, you know, and they lost to a third-string like third quarterback, drove the field on them last week. But they easily could have won that game. They went to overtime with UTSA, overtime with a really good Texas Tech team. I think they've been running a bit poorly. And I think that the main culprit has been the play calling. And if you look at the amount of runs they're calling, how about this against Tulane last week? 12 of the night and 12 of the 19 – Last at 19 early downs, um, excuse me, 12 of the final 19 first downs at the second half in overtime, they ran the ball. They were running the ball at an inordinate rate. This is not, you have you have a quarterback, a fifth-year quarterback, one of the best receivers in the country. After listening to everything, you know, and apparently like Dawson's calling the plays and he's being too conservative. 
I think Holgerson is either going to whip him into being more aggressive here, or you're going to see Holgerson take over play calling here. And that is a good thing against Memphis because Memphis pass defense is horrendous. There's also injury news, which kind of swung me. So Memphis has a, a couple offensive linemen, key offensive linemen that are 50, 50 at best to play. They didn't play last week against Temple. And it was a disaster. They, they were up three, nothing in the fourth quarter to Temple sacked a bunch. They got no protection. If they don't play, I, I just don't see this Memphis offense having much success. And you say, okay, well, Tulane last week, they were, they were moving the ball back up quarterbacks. Yes. But Houston's two best defensive backs. And this is from a team that lost two defensive backs to the NFL. One's on the Patriots. One's on the Ravens. They were both out last week. They are both confirmed in this week. I think that's a major difference. And I think this is just a good time to buy low on Houston and sell high on a four and one Memphis team that, like I said, down three nothing to Temple at the half. Their run defense has been pretty good. They beat Navy. Okay. They got trucked by Miss State, put up a bunch of garbage points. They beat Arkansas State 44 32 in that game. Arkansas State moved the ball fine. The one really troublesome result for me is they beat North Texas 44 34. Memphis had two pick sixes in that game, two, and they beat North Texas 44 to 34. They got absolutely shredded. I mean, they got 500 yards. They, they should have lost that game to six yards per play to four and a half yards per play. Yeah, I, I was low on this Memphis team coming into the year. They lost their best offensive player in Calvin Austin. They lost an important tight end. Their defense was, yeah, I think going to be shaky. And after digging in, I think this is the right time to sell Memphis and by Houston, my only concern is Houston has quit. But we're buying the Cougs. We're riding with Dana on Friday night. Do you agree or disagree? You would never buy a hook on a two and a half down to a two. But Dana Holgerson makes you think, huh? I mean, they, they, you get a little bit nervous with his uh, overtime strategies. But I agree that uh, Houston is a side. They should be favored. Uh, but with two and a half across the board, you do get a little bit nervous about that. But I think I think the over is where I'm going to be playing. There's like Stucky mentioned, heavy rush stats favoring Houston stuff rate line yards. It should be domination by the Cougars here on their offense. I think the problem is, is Brandon Campbell and Tazan Henry are not near as explosive of Clay, as Clayton Toon has been on the ground. Uh, so, you know, that is something to kind of monitor. But. You know, when you go to the other side, why I like the over is Stucky mentioned that there's going to be a pass rush applied by Houston and a Memphis offensive line that can't do anything about it. Even with injury, it makes it worse. Now, Seth Hennigan is nine to one TD to INT ratio. But when you look at his big time throw turnover worthy play ratio, it's like one to one. So it's a little bit inflation there on the TD stats. He's already got twelve hundred yards in the air for Memphis and Houston is 60th in coverage. They can be exposed. But they do have the best pass rush in the nation, graded by PFF. There's going to be plenty of busted plays here. There's going to be sacks on Memphis and passing downs. And the Tigers are 18th in explosiveness on passing downs. I think it's like an all or nothing thing from Hennigan and the Memphis offense. I mean, you're going to see like sacks so that it's like third and 25. But you're also going to see like 30-yard gains against this Houston defense. It just is just out they just lose their minds like they're not even paying attention sometimes in passing downs so i think that's going to be a real problem so i i, I favor the over here more than back in houston last game unlv at san jose state san jose state six and a half point favorite here over under 42 you like the spartans here right yeah yeah a lot i mean my power ratings makes this san jose state 13 and i really sat there and stared at it like have i 
screwed up here somehow in grading these games. And the truth is, I just have never been a believer in what UNLV has been able to do with their new offensive quarter, Nick, Nick Hulse. I love Siobhan Cordero, and I was not thrown off by an early season slow start against FCS team. An eight-point loss to Auburn on the road is actually pretty respectable. Uh, I think there's even better value backing San Jose State in the first half, considering UNLV was losing to New Mexico in the second half. They needed eight turnovers to win their two games the, the week before. Uh, a big key to stopping you know UNLV's attack is the ground unit of Doug Brumfeld, a quarterback, and Aiden Robbins, a, a running back. UNLV, that's a really good tandem on the ground, but San Jose State is 21st in stuff rate. But when you go over the offensive side of the ball for San Jose State, Siobhan Cordero is just, he's been on fire. Everything that we loved about him from being dual threat at Hawaii, he's brought over here and he's made San Jose State better. 151 scramble yards so far this season, 1,000 yards passing, no interceptions. Uh, when San Jose State is forced into long passing downs, the fact that Cordero is so good at scrambling and, and, and getting big gains has is, is really been a, a positive here. UNLV does have great coverage grade. They've been pretty good in defending the pass, but they rank outside the top 100 and defending passing downs explosiveness. So like I said, if Siobhan Cordero and San Jose State is in third and long, they've actually been able to convert a lot, and UNLV has been giving it up a lot. So I think some scores are going to come from there too. I like the Spartans. I don't think they're properly graded by the rest of the market because I make this game 13, so we'll see. Yeah, I'm above a touchdown, too. I agree. I'll be on them in some sense. This UNLV team, I think, is overvalued, and it's a good matchup for the Spartans. Go San Jose State, and that win total, I think we're both on the over, looks really strong. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yep. they're scheduled the rest of the way in the Mountain West that is just bad this year. <laughs> um, this is for first place in the division, by the way. All right, let's bring back a, a – Say a favorite segment of my mind. Look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? Look at some of the best spots on the board. Look at who teams played last week, who they played next week. Ultimately, it comes down to the number in the matchup, but sometimes you might have a favorite that takes his foot off the gas a little earlier. Might not show as much, et cetera, et cetera. Let's start Ole Miss at Vandy. Vandy's catching 17 here, over under 62 and a half. I played Vanderbilt here, plus 17 and a half. I still like them at 17. Vandy's improved. They guess they got drilled by Alabama, but that, that was to be expected. They're coming off of a bye here, and Ole Miss, for what it's worth, just played Kentucky in a hard-fought game pretty fortunate with some fumbles late you know after this vandy game they go auburn at lsu at texas a&m home uh home against alabama at arkansas home against miss state like the gauntlet so i doubt that lane who has been doing this all year get a lead and then sit on it i'm not going to show much probably wants to make sure that they're healthy for this sec stretch run so, and not only that, I think Vanderbilt can hang around here. I just haven't been impressed with Ole Miss. I mean, like, they, they barely escaped Kentucky, I'm really low on. Barely escaped Tulsa. Like, they're letting these teams hang around. <clears throat> not impressed with Jackson Dart. And, like, Vandy's run defense has been okay, and that's how you have to stop this Ole Miss offense. And I like A.J. Swan and some of the things that I've seen from him at quarterback for Vanderbilt. This is a team that was a 35-point underdog against Adel Miss last year, lost by 14. I think they'll have some confidence here. 
and I think they're going to keep this close. And even if it gets a little out of hand, I don't think Ole Miss is going to try and run this out. And there might be a chance for a Vandy backdoor, but I think Vandy will be feisty here in a good spot. Do you agree? Yeah, it's a fantastic spot. I'm glad we're leading off this segment with this team. Vanderbilt is a home sleeper this weekend. And we came into the season from the summer saying Lane Kiffin doesn't like the makeup of this team. It is not Matt Corral's version of Ole Miss, the one that could, you know, just be electric through the air. There is none of that on this team. Uh, This team has been terrible passing with Jackson Dart. They've become a run first team 63% of the time. And so when you switch back over to Vanderbilt, you mentioned A.J. Swan. I mean, for two years, we had this Mike Wright, Ken Seals quarterback battle. And all of a sudden, freshman, you know, A.J. Swan is named the starter and is really kind of run with it. Six TDs, no interceptions, more big time throws than turnover worthy plays. Just watch film on this kid. He he makes plays. I mean, he has guys driving. Very smart. High IQ. You can tell he can he progresses. He reads the defense, goes through his progressions well. And Mike Wright, who's a hell of an athlete, he'll get some plays here. The best route of attack against Ole Miss is actually on the ground. Ray Davis has created 26 missed tackles. He averages a real healthy 3.4 yards after contact. So I think Vanderbilt's going to have some success running the ball here. And that's exactly what Ole Miss is, right? They are a cash cow under team. They've gone under in 12 of their last 13 games, dating back to last season. Their pace is still there. But the passing success rate, the havoc allowed, it's dipped outside the top 85. This is not the same offense. They are not explosive in passing downs. And now they're a heavy run first team. That plays into the fact that they're not going to run away with ball games. So I do like Vandy here. I, I mean, I make the game 19, but because of the situational spot, I come back and I, I want to bet Vandy, try to get that 17, believe in A.J. Swan. Stuck, I think my best bet was Tulsa on the show a couple of weeks ago. And – Ole Miss was terrible in that game. Last week watching that, they couldn't put Kentucky away. Now you're going to get a Vanderbilt team with a spread this large. I don't think you can cover this either, or at least maintain a three-score lead. So give me A.J. Swan and Vanderbilt to get a cover here. Hope the fourth down variance goes away because Lane's going to go for it a lot. So you just hope that every fourth down early doesn't go against Danny. And if one or two goes the other way, then we'll be sitting pretty. All right, let's move on to the next game here. Clemson off that huge win against NC State. Now we'll head up to Boston College. You know BC is going to be hyped for this to face Clemson. It's also a red bandana game. Honoring Wells Crowther, amazing story, hero from 9-11. If you haven't heard it already, look it up. Clemson's obviously off that huge win against NC State. They have Florida State on deck. They're also coming off that weight game. They got Florida State on deck, Syracuse to Notre Dame. Like This is a very sleepy spot. BC was lifeless until last week, and then they upset Louisville. I mean, they couldn't. If you watch that Bob Tech game, I mean, they, I don't think that 100 total yards. I want that 21. <clears throat> I'll probably be on BC in some form or fashion, but I want the 21. You would worry right away about the offensive line. Like the Boston College offensive line had to replace everyone from last year. They couldn't do a thing up until that Louisville game. BC currently is 131st in line yards. 126th in sack rate. But with a brand new unit, they you know had a, another guy in there last week. They finally had some time because they have such talented players on the outside. Zay Flowers were the most explosive players. Should be a first-round draft pick. Uh, he, he's amazing. And you have a quarterback with NF, an NFL arm. They finally got some time to do some things last week. That was against why I was even more impressed with that. And they, had, they, they tried to give a game that, that game away too. 
But why I was so impressed with that effort was what does what's one thing that Louisville does very well? They rank in the top 10 in sack rate and passing down sack rate. And you would think BC, their whole offense would get blown up by that. Nope, they handled themselves. So trending up in that direction. How about Clemson, right? Oh, the best offensive line in the history of college football, which many people thought. You know what their passing down sack rate is? A hundredth. The regular sack rate, 76th. This has been an average defensive line that will also be without Brian Brisset again. Maybe Xavier Thomas. So I think BC's offense can get some things done here. I think they'll cover this number in an awful spot for Clemson. I'm riding with the Eagles again and my boy Phil Jerkovich. The number is completely inflated. I mean, it's just way too high right now. I projected at 15 and a half. Uh, so there's certainly some value on Boston College, but there's just a lot of love in the market for Clemson after what they did to NC State last week, putting it together on the offensive side of the ball, like hello, Clemson offense, welcome back to the world of, you know, of actually mattering uh, in the college football national title landscape. Here we are recording this podcast on a Thursday. I'm staring at a two deep that the Dabo puts out, and it's not even close to the reality of what this defense is going to have on the field. You know, Boston College, if, if you go to the other side, you know, with Clemson's offense, Boston College is 112th in defensive pass coverage. They're not generating any havoc whatsoever. And Clemson is now a top 10 team in standard downs explosiveness. That is DJ running. That is DJ throwing. Uh, you know, Clemson should absolutely shut down this BC attack. Uh, that's, you know, dead last in line yards. They can't run the ball whatsoever. Who are we going to see on this defensive side for Clemson? So it's tough for me to buy in this inflated spread on Clemson, but I do like the over in this game. I'm probably going to hit it here while we're recording the podcast. I think DJ continues to roll with this offense. The BC defense can't throw up any resistance. And I don't think Clemson is fully healthy. And I don't think we'll see their full list of starters as to what we'll see against Florida State next week. Yeah, I I also think the BC Offensive line numbers are 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 going to continue to improve, like we saw last week. Brand new unit, you would expect, like literally five new guys. You would expect improvement as the year goes on. I think we saw that last week against a team that's top ten in sack rate, and you know they put up thirty five even with some crazy turnovers. And the town is there on the outside, so yeah, I, I think BC will score. I mean, Furman moved the ball on Clemson. This is not <laughs> your elite Clemson defense. Um, and especially Don't say anything bad hand. about the offense. Oh, this is a DJU podcast, or at least on my side, on this on this side of the mic. One, it's a half, it's a D podcast. <laughs> uh, one last one, Iowa at Illinois. We're not going to spend a lot of time. It's Illinois three point favorite over under thirty six and a half. These are the only two teams in the country that are allowing fewer than five yards per attempt to opposing pass offenses. Iowa off of a loss to Michigan with Ohio State on deck, going up to Sleepy Champagne, Sandwich City. Sandwiches. But I don't, I don't know. Iowa doesn't come across to me as a team that's like going to overlook an opponent. It's like they're – and and Ferret's generally been good on the road. He's gonna, the special teams travels, forcing turnovers and defense travels well. I would lean Iowa here if you can get over three, under if you get 37. I don't think the spot really applies here. Any thoughts here? Uh, I know your Illinois call, your haters are going to be calling if you get this. Oh yeah, man. The Illinois season win total under got some phone, got some phone calls already on the, on the podcast this season, but listen, I mean, I guess credit to Brett Bielema for, uh, you know, used to coach at Wisconsin, got Paul Chris fired and now he played nose guard at Iowa. Maybe he can, uh, 
get Brian Ferentz fired, maybe as offensive coordinator. Who knows? But listen, everybody in this division is one one and one except for Wisconsin. So it's a really big two game stretch with Iowa and Minnesota on deck for Illinois. We'll see what we'll see what the Fighting Illini got. But when you look at the advanced metrics up against each other, both of these defense should absolutely dominate in this game. And you know there isn't quite the extremes when Illinois has the ball when Tommy DeVito is their quarterback. You know, the Hawkeyes are second, uh, you know, in the back seven when it comes to coverage rating. So, you know, I think the cover and the win for Illinois is going to have to come through Chase Brown in the run game. He's creating a ton of missed tackles through zone runs this year. But at the same time, this projection is below three. So I think it's a little bit inflated right now. And there's a lot of love in the Illinois market. Um, I think for me, the the total I mentioned in playing at 35 and above, this thing is steamed down to 36 and a half. There are major havoc advantages for both defenses that could cause a lot of easy scores. And Iowa special teams is ninth in SP plus. Uh, like I said last week, I mean, anytime we get these Iowa totals and they get down around this five touchdown range, you're just a mistake away from Iowa turning that into points. So if there's a 35 that's going to pop, this thing is going to continue to steaming down. I will look to play an over. Unfortunately for Iowa Rutgers, it took two defensive touchdowns and a 51-yard field goal that bank didn't go over by a point and a half. All right, let's move on to our marquee games of the day. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week six. All right, let's start. We got another great noon slate. Now, this slate overall... Probably the worst left of the year because a couple of the top games, Texas A&M, Alabama, preseason, that was so hyped. Obviously, not as uh, appetizing as of now. Like Michigan State, Ohio State, was Michigan State going to be decent? Nah, they're dumpster. You know, Arkansas, like a lot of these injuries, Texas, Oklahoma aren't even ranked. These are four big 12 games this, this week, and the only one of unranked teams is Texas, Oklahoma. First time since 98, neither team has been ranked. We'll talk about all those games, but the noon slate is at least really intriguing. Let's kick things off in the SEC, and let's talk Tennessee at LSU. This is, uh, I mean, man, I was digging into this game for forever. I obviously like Tennessee here because I'm super high on them. Coming into the year, still high on them. Also like the spot. They're coming off of a bye I don't look, you have two potential first round draft picks at receiver in this game. I don't know. And look, I don't know what's going on with Keyshawn Boutte. He's, he doesn't even, I don't think he has a hundred yards receiving yet. And Cedric Tillman might play, but I don't think he will. Tennessee's star receiver. But when I look at this game, like Tennessee's, like Tennessee should be able to move the ball through the air, Hendon Hooker. I think that their pace of play is going to wear down the LSU defense line, which has been excellent. I think that can work in their favor here. Also, the time of this game, uh, 11 a.m., helps Tennessee. Man, um, as a Tennessee division backer, I'm glad this game isn't at night in Death Valley. My So I, I think Tennessee will have success moving the ball. The LSU secondary has some issues. you know. When, but when I look at the other side of the ball, it's trying to figure out what is – I can't figure out what's going to happen. So LSU has just not been throwing the ball down the field. They're, it's not working in the passing game. They have been running the ball well. Their offensive line has been run blocking very well, but that's Tennessee's strength. Like their Tennessee's run D has been really good. I don't think LSU is going to keep up if they're just going to run the ball. So that comes down to Jaden Daniels. Can he throw the ball accurately and down the field? Brian Kelly came out and said, we got to take more risks. We have to be more aggressive. 
probably lend itself to an over if you think about it. But his whole career, Jane Daniels has not proven that he's accurate downfield. He's not been accurate downfield on the few times he's thrown this year. I think a 33% accuracy rate. There's something off with the receivers. But then again, so I'm like, yeah, this is this is Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. But then on the flip side, then I look at Tennessee and I'm like, they gave up five, like they gave up 500 yards passing to, to Daniel Richardson in Florida. And so now I'm a bit worried. I show value in the balls. I think the balls are going to win this game, but there's enough things that I'm like, mm, about that I'll probably stay away. Maybe other balls in a, in a round Robin, but I know that you love LSU and the over here. Yeah, I have it in my script right here. It says love LSU. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, listen, I think I'm higher than everybody else uh, when it comes to LSU. It's a game that I make a pick. Uh, they're a team that has had an influx of transfers, new schemes, new coaches. And this is the kind of team where they're going to improve week after week. And it's not going to look like anything that opened up against Florida state. And I feel like we've seen this movie. Well, can you explain then what happened last week then? I mean, and, and I they, right? I, they were dominated by Auburn. I'm getting dominated. that thrown in my face all week. I started getting text messages Sunday night, uh, from people saying, Thank you for hitting LSU on Sunday so that I can get a good Tennessee line. Like I, I'm getting razzed for my love for for LSU, but you know, I know the postgame win expecting says Auburn should have won that game and this opening number should have been like LSU plus six. I get it. But Daniels you know, in that game was eight of twenty for 80 yards, and Ashford for Auburn was 19 of 38 for 340. I get it, but this is also not the first time we've seen a team go on the road for the first time in their season and not act like anything what they've acted like before. Think about USC going to Oregon State. Like, I mean, we have seen teams go on the road and just not look like anything that they did at home. Yeah, I mean, LSU at home shut down Mississippi State, too. Like, they had a great game plan. Yeah. Mississippi State always scored 16 points. The defense absolutely shut down Auburn at the end of the game. It was like six drives where, you know, Nussmeyer came in and it was just, it was horrid. John Emery Jr. is fumbling the ball. Nussmeyer looks like he's never even thrown a pass before in his life, which... I love his arm. I thought that he could do some damage against Tennessee, but I don't think he's going to see the field. And you're right. It doesn't look like Cedric Tillman's going to return for Tennessee, and he's the most explosive weapon for Hendon Hooker in that passing game. I know Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton have not, you know, they, they're kind of getting the love now, but if you look at, you know, yards per route run, Brew McCoy is not the explosive wide receiver that I kind of expected him to be with his recruiting pedigree that came in. So for Tennessee to win this game, they're going to have to establish the rush with Jabari Small and Jalen Wright. And Josh Heupel said the key to this game was keeping Tennessee on schedule ahead of the chains. This LSU defense is top 10 in standard down success rate. The defensive line is the size of a house, and they're completely equipped to shut down the success rate in standard downs from Tennessee. Also, look at Tennessee's penalties. They're outside the top 100 in penalties per game. They shoot themselves in the foot more than just about anybody. But the biggest handicap in this game, and you've already mentioned it, is the Tennessee secondary, 120th in coverage grading by PFF. You mentioned what Anthony Richardson did to them. And the narrative is right. Jaden Daniels hasn't thrown deep. He isn't on target. And there's just way too many drops. That's Butte's problem, right? I mean, he's got like a, I think, 25% <laughs> drop ratio right now. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's bad. And I mean, a lot of that could be inaccuracy. A lot of that can't always be on the wide receivers. Can Jaden Daniels actually throw downfield? Jaden Daniels is capable of throwing downfield. He's done it in his career before. He hasn't been asked to. And when he has, there's been drops involved. And now Brian Kelly is coming out and publicly saying, I am asking Jaden Daniels to be more aggressive in the passing game. 
Brian Kelly is not a fool. He knows what he sees in the Tennessee secondary, and he is challenging his quarterback openly in public. He's not doing that because he's irrational or it just came to his brain. Like he is doing this on purpose and for a reason. So I love LSU plus three. I think Jaden Daniels is going to cook. And considering the opposing offensive attack, you know, this Tennessee coverage grade is so bad. And at the same time, the way that Tennessee wins this game on offense is that they establish the rush, which I don't think they're going to be able to do against this LSU front seven. I like LSU plus three at home. And please stop with the narratives that because it's an 11 a.m. game, it takes away home field advantage. That is completely overdrawn. It's going to be loud. It's going to smell of corn dogs and LSU is going to roll. Yeah, no, I disagree. The difference to me is both secondaries have questions like, and I mean, if you look at EPA per pass, the Tennessee defense is 88th, I think. And the LSU passing offense is like 85th. So I'm like, okay, yeah, the Tennessee. But then if you look at the other side, it's a top 15 EPA per pass offense with Hendon Hooker against a secondary that's outside the top 50 in EPA per pass. I also think that the LSU defensive line, which is going to have a say early on, that's if they come out and don't shift the bet early on, as they've done every game this year on offense, if they get behind. If they get behind in this game, they're done. They're not coming back against Tennessee. This isn't Robbie Ashford. But Hendon Hooker in this offense, I think, is going to wear down that defensive line over time. That's why I would trust Tennessee more. It's like, I know the known commodity in Hendon Hooker. Fair difference of opinion there in a game that I think warrants it. Um, All right, let's stay at noon and talk Red River shootout rivalry. Oklahoma. Not the premier Big 12 game of the day. You want to call it that for the first time? Yeah. Uh, Oklahoma up to nine-point underdog, where it is Dayton Gabriel probably won't play, over under 65. It was just announced that Quinn Ewers will start and no limitations uh, practice this week. So the question is, the Oklahoma defense, what the hell is going on? Texas defense looks good. Like, if you look at a lot of their underlying metrics, this is the defense. This is why I bet on Texas in the Big 12. I thought their defense would improve. Texas has been great. I mean, they should they should have beat Alabama. They should have beat Texas. They should be 4-0. Oklahoma should not be 4-0. They've been – in their two losses, they got destroyed the past two weeks against Kansas State and then against TCU, both as favorites. So defense is a mess. Their offense won't have Dylan Gabriel now. Who's going to be quarterback? They got this kid who came in last week that was a pit transfer. Is not very good. Then you have General Booty, one of the best names. But a little birdie told me that they think, not confirmed, that Nick Evers is going to get the start for Oklahoma, who's their best backup. Highly talented kid. He's a freshman. So that's very interesting. He's got a big arm. We'll see what... Their offense is going to look like with the freshman there. Obviously, it's a downgrade from Dylan Gabriel, and you have to assume it is. What viewers will start and no limitations uh, practice this week. Weird things happen in this game. Like, I don't want to lay nine, but it's hard to make any case for Oklahoma. What do you got? Yeah, here? I mean, I want to lay it with Oklahoma too. The problem is, is it's not even the quarterback that's giving me heartburn about it. It's the defense that's giving me so many issues with what they are as a rush stop unit. You saw a push off of the seven across the board all the way up to a 10. There was a 10 that floated, sent the runner to get it, couldn't get it. So uh, it got whacked back down to eight and a half. As we're recording, there's a a few nine and a halves on the board. I would like to have a 10. 
I get a 10, I'll be in there in Oklahoma, and I'm just going to swallow how bad this defense has been against the rush, and I'm going to swallow whatever quarterback it is that's going to play for the Sooners because it's just too much. Now, if Dylan Gabriel was healthy, the number should be Texas minus one. Oklahoma has weapons outside the quarterback position that can get huge chunk yards. You just didn't notice it against TCU because TCU was running the whole team up a flagpole. And I think that brings me next to my – this is two weeks in a row – that the Oklahoma defense has had to go up against two elite ground attacks with two quarterbacks that can play at an elite dual threat level. Quinn Ewers is not a dual threat quarterback. Now, Bijan Robinson, yeah, I mean, he's just plowing through defenses, but I'm not going to go out here on a rope and say, you know, Oklahoma's winning this game. But to go from Texas minus one all the way up to a nine and a half, I mean, that we're just in crazy town here with this number. So I get it. The OU defense has been awful against the run. I like under 65 in this game. It's crazy. We call it shootout. We think there's going to be a ton of points. Oklahoma is allowed a ton of points. But at the same time, I'm telling everybody, I don't think we really know how great Kansas State and TCU is. With their the, Adrian Martinez is playing peak. Max Duggan is playing peak. Texas is not the same at the quarterback position. If a 10 pops, I'm going to hit it. Call in on the voicemails on Saturday night if you want or Saturday afternoon, but that's just way, way too many points. Uh, 959 Bad Beat, by the way. Yeah, I, I don't think I could do it. Um, weird things happen in this game. And yeah, it is too much of an overreaction based on what we saw, like just adjusting spreads based on one result. But maybe at the end of the year, we'd look back and say, oh, the spread was right. Because then the only reason I think that is the Oklahoma defense. It was really sad to watch a unit that got embarrassed at home the week before, embarrassed, and they come out and are down 34 points, gave up 500 yards in the first half. Like, that's a – you come out as a defender, you come out on five – That the what is the bottom for this defense? I don't know. We'll find out a lot more on Saturday, hook'em horns. As a reminder, the Big Bets on Campus podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, let's see. Yeah, well, you mentioned TCU at Kansas. Game day is in Lawrence. 
Yes. For two undefeated top 20 teams. Cat is six and a half point underdog, six and a half, seven over under 69. Nice. Uh, this totals, this over is taking money. It's funny to see a college game day at a location where the game is on ESPNU at night. Kansas, I don't think, should get many stops. Their defense was, was better last week against Iowa State. Can Kansas's offense exploit some potential holes in the TCU defense? Um, or is it and is this and or is this the end of the run for Cinderella, Kansas? This is the end of the run for Cinderella, Kansas. And I think there's a few technical reasons why that's going to happen. This is, I mean, here we are, Stucky. If, if you're a longtime listener, or if you're a short-time listener, here we are again with our TCU tickets. All the money in the world is on TCU. Everybody's grandmother, including my grandmother, has money on TCU. And we're kind of floating back off a key number of seven and questioning, like, do we have the right side? I'm pretty sure we have the right side, at least from a schematical perspective. And it's crazy to think that Max Duggan was the backup for Chandler Morris at Colorado. Uh, Ever since he came in there, just a single fumble, no interception so far this year. Pretty impressive. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that we love Amari DeMarcado, Kendra Miller. Let me tell you, I'll just stop talking about the TCU offense because we talk about it every week. But let me just say, they've had 49 offensive drives this year. 29 of them have been scoring drives. That's sick. You won't even know it's even more sick. Of the 29 offensive drives TCU, uh, TCU has scored on this year, 27 of them have been touchdowns. They've kicked two field goals. Sonny Dykes ain't stopping to kick a field goal. I mean, this is amazing stats that they're doing on offense. So, you know, lots of reasons there to love the TCU offense. Those are the two biggest. But I think the reason why you like TCU in this game is because of the defense. Kansas had issues with the Iowa State 3-3-5 stack. What does that mean? Jalen Daniels couldn't read the defense. He doesn't know where to throw. He only threw 14 times, completed half of those. It was less than 100 yards and less than 20 yards rushing, too. Not the same Jalen Daniels that we've seen weeks past. I mean, that 3-3-5 stack gave them a ton of problems. You don't adjust your defense based on the offense motion. Why do offenses use motion? So that they can get the defense to tip their hand and where they are with coverage and blitz. Kansas sends three to five guys in motion before Jalen Daniels gets that ball back and pistol. Iowa State doesn't move. They don't tip anything. And now what are they going to do? They're going to play Joe Gillespie, three, three, five stack defense. So if Lance Leipold and Jalen Daniels didn't figure it out last week, here you go. You've got a three, three, five all over again. I don't care where you put your H back. I don't care how many reverses you run. They're going to play discipline contain. And, you know, I, I think with that, that is a huge leg up for TCU in this game. It's on the defensive side of the ball, not the offensive side. TCU dead last in the nation, 131st and allowing opposing offenses to have an explosive play in passing downs. What does that mean? Kansas is going to score. It's just going to be like third and 18, and Jalen Daniels is going to pop a touchdown. Uh, and that's exactly how Kansas is going to get it on. I don't think they're going to have the ability to be methodical. I don't think they're going to have the ability to have 14 play drives and end with a touchdown. It's going to be coming from explosive plays. The real difference in this game, though, I have to mention TCU's pass. Max Duggan is going to light up this Kansas secondary. It has been vulnerable against other teams that they've played. And corner Jacoby Bryant has been terrible for Kansas. He's been targeted 30 times more than any other defensive player. He has a 19% missed tackle rate. 
that's just too much for this TCU offense. So give me TCU. Give me the team total over. Let's ride these horn frogs until they stop cashing at the window. But schematically, technically, this is another win for TCU. Yeah, I don't have a hot take on it yet, but I don't disagree with you. All right, let's move on to our final marquee game. And we'll talk about that game again on uh, Big Bets on Campus Live, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Saturday morning. Let's move on to our final marquee game, Utah at UCLA. UCLA, three-and-a-half point underdog here, over under 64-and-a-half. The only other team you love more than TCU is Utah. I think that we're going to disagree on this game. I am 99% sure I'm going to be on UCLA, who I think (laughs) is underrated in the market. DTR is a different player this year. There was all, you read a lot about how he's taken everything more serious over the past year with his diet and film and sleep. And like, I I just looks like a, a much better player out there. And I, I don't know. I think that this Utah team took a step back this year. And if you look at their results, like, okay, they beat Southern Utah. Who cares? They beat the corpse of San Diego state. Who cares? They beat the corpse of Arizona state. Who cares? So there are two results that they have that you could take any meaning from this year. They lost at Florida, which doesn't look as good than it did maybe initially. Um, Florida almost losing at home to South Florida. And last week against Oregon State, you know, they get a billion interceptions and whatever at home and weird things happen at Utah. But they got outgained by Oregon State, who had their backup quarterback in for half the game. They allowed 6.3 yards per play. To, they only had 6.4. Um, that game was 21-16 in the third quarter with Oregon State's backup quarterback in, in an awful spot for Oregon State after that USC game. And so there's a couple things that worry about Utah. I, I, their secondary is better. It was so hurt last year. And Clark Phillips is a stud. He had a bunch of picks last week. They might be a bit vulnerable against a mobile quarterback. And their run defense has slipped. A bit. They lost some a lot of talent on that front seven. You know, the one thing that I'm worried about with UCLA is just being out, you know, being bullied here, which has been a problem for them against like a, a Utah type team. But I, I don't know. I, I I think that I think that UCLA has value here at plus three and a half. I think they're very live. Maybe Utah is caught peeking ahead to that game against USC next week. I think I'm going to be on UCLA over a field goal. I think this game is close throughout. Tell me why Utah is going to roll as you always do. I'm not. I'm on UCLA. I just haven't. Wow. Bought, I just haven't bought the number yet. What I, is I, going on? You I literally traded I, in your UCLA allegiance for TCU. I do have a UCLA helmet right behind me, right here, wait over there. I mean, right there. Yeah. I might have to put my sissy blue shirt on this weekend. Hey, hey, bring your ass on. Bring your ass on your little sissy blue shirt. <laughs> and frankly, to tell you the truth, I kind of want UCLA to blow Utah out so I can just hammer the living shit out of the Utes next week against USC. But we'll <laughs> we'll see. UCLA wins this game, everybody. You better believe Sunday about 2.30 o'clock in the afternoon, there's a, a big old Utah bet coming down to pipe in the action app. So, you know, just for the future. But as far as this game goes, I li- I think it lands three. Like, I think the game lands three, like Utah by three. So I, I am being greedy right now. I haven't put a play in on the app. I, I'm about to buy, I'm about to, I'm betting it right now. And then I'm going to, are you? Yeah. I mean, I could buy a four right now and pay minus 118 on. I don't really want to do that. But at the same time, I don't think it's coming back to four. 
I think it's yeah, gonna... I, I just want to ensure I grab the over. I can get a three and a half minus one of seven right now, which I'm locking in. I'm going to go bet it myself. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, the Chip Kelly DTR offensive attack starts on the ground. They're second in the nation in stuff, right? And they're fifth in line yards. Nothing's changed. I mean, this is this is a great ground unit. I mean, the, <laughs> that's what the Chip Kelly offense is being run to a T by DTR. And Utah has not controlled the trench against the run. They're 95th in line yards defensively. And UCLA is just going to have success on the ground and have sustained drives. Utah isn't getting a pass rush either. They're ranked outside the top 100. There's been plenty of drop eight scenarios. So I can kind of understand why there hasn't been a pass rush, but the defense has stood up in the red zone, a top 25 rank in defensive finishing drives. UCLA is going to have opportunities to score. It's just a question of whether they're actually going to get more touchdowns than field goals. Uh, as for Utah, there is talk that Tavion Thomas is going to have an expanded role this weekend against UCLA. That makes sense against the UCLA defense. They're 89th and stuff, right? They struggle with tackling, keeping opponents out of the red zone. And the Bruins have been a top 15 team in coverage. So they're really good against the pass. So I expect a lot less Cam Rising throwing and a lot more Tavian Thomas doing his work from the backfield where he should get some clean looks. So, By the way, Utah's also without their top pass catcher. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, we can make a case here for the under. I do see a trickle down. Very big key number of 65, and the board is, you know, lit up at 64 and a half. So I, I think I'm going to be firing on the under and buying a four here as soon as I get in talking. But I think the game is a grinder. I want four with UCLA. Uh, I lean to the under with the uh, expected game plan being on the ground for both teams. Uh, no, we're on the same side. I'm going to take a little break from Utah. And actually, I kind of hope they get pounded because – I'm dying to burn money against USC next week. <laughs> Unreal. Can't believe that you're on the same side. I thought you were going to make a long winded case for your beloved Utes for me, but you're right. Out of all my children and I rank them all, Utah's higher than UCLA. So I give you that. <laughs> the TCU must be the favorite child right now in 2022. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, certainly higher than Arkansas. All right, let's move on to the rundown. We'll go through four games fairly quickly. BYU, Notre Dame in Vegas. Notre Dame, three and a half point favorite over under 50 and a half. I've dug into this game for a while. I want Notre Dame. Um, BYU's receivers, by the way, are banged up again. BYU just hasn't been impressive this year. Like outside of the game against Baylor, like they opened up against South Florida. South Florida just gave up six trillion yards to Holt Nailers. Um, You know, after that, they beat Baylor, who's not been impressive. You know, they beat Baylor in double overtime in a game they easily could have lost. Since then, it's like they get blown out by Oregon. They don't look great against Wyoming. They look awful against Utah State. And from a schematic perspective, I think this sets up well for Notre Dame because Notre Dame can push around. Basically, what's, what's going to go on here is that Notre Dame can run the ball. BYU can't, and I think that's the difference. And BYU can't really get pressure. BYU doesn't give up explosives. That's fine. Notre Dame can't get them, doesn't rely on them. I think they can kind of pound their way down the field. Freeman, not your boy, but my boy, will come up with a good defensive game plan here to take away BYU's passing attack. And they're struggling to run the ball. And their receivers are banged up. Notre Dame's coming off of a bye. I just would prefer the three. I'm going to be on the Irish here some form or fashion. Uh, I think these are two teams headed in opposite directions. So I, I like the Irish. How about you? I think Notre Dame absolutely wins this game. The problem is I make it minus two, and I've got a lot of heartburn about doing three and a half. Three I maybe could be talked into, uh, but listen. Round-robin anchor. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, you can expect that on the show on Saturday. And I, I think really what's going on here is that Notre Dame is absolutely going to dominate in the trench. Let me give you the stuff rate numbers for BYU on both sides of the ball. Offensively, 110th. Defensively, 119th. That's not good against a Notre Dame offensive line that is improving. It was youthful. It's improving. It's getting, you know, we have a different quarterback. But they, listen, Notre Dame is going to dominate BYU in the trench. BYU might not, you know, allow explosives, but that's not really Notre Dame's offense. Notre Dame doesn't really have any weapons on the outside. And so what you're going to see is, is Notre Dame methodically move the ball down the field uh, with their offense, slow moving drives. But at the same time, BYU is near dead last in defensive finishing drives. Everybody gets a touchdown when they get to the end of the field. So that would make me a little bit nervous about playing an under here. Uh, but yes, Notre Dame is going to be the winner. I am just, you know, that three and a half is too much for me. But, uh, you know, they're going to win. They win the trench battle. They win the game. Yeah, I would agree. All right, let's move on to another Let's talk about a top 10 team, well, ranked at least in the top 10, Oklahoma State minus nine at home against Texas Tech over under 68. You know, I'll be guns ablaze and I'm on Texas Tech here waiting to see if this pops the 10. It's in a dead range here. Uh, Texas Tech, what are they playing? Like their sixth ranked team of the year. All, they do, all this schedule is brutal. Meanwhile, I mean, Oklahoma State overperformed my expectations them against Baylor. I was wrong on Baylor last week, but I just really – lowered Baylor again we just talked about the BYU game or they didn't like their offense couldn't do anything against and you know so I don't think that that said much to me about the Oklahoma State defense which I think is a problem and they still haven't played anybody that you're really scared of you know you should be scared of if you're Oklahoma State's defense is Donovan Smith in this Texas Tech passing offense um, that can absolutely light it up and i think they will um against the oklahoma state defense that is i mean if you look at some of their defensive numbers they are ugly when you consider they played a bunch of nobodies so um yeah i think texas tech can exploit this defense that i think is what is it a wolf a, a sheep in wolves clothing why do i can't i think of that Look it up for like three days paper tiger you know, they got the, I think TCU next week too, off the Baylor revenge. Uh, might come out a little flat here. Texas Tech already has two ranked wins on the year. Won't be afraid of the stage. Give me the Red Raiders. No, I agree with you. I, I like Texas Tech here. Miles Price, uh, he's a game time decision. That's a weapon out there that they could use uh, for Texas Tech on the offensive side of the ball. Would like to hear more about that injury. But I mean, Texas Tech has been very well coached up, 24th in tackle grading. Uh, defensively, they're top 20 in success rate. That's against the rush and against the pass. You're going to need that against Spencer Sanders, who has been lighting it up through the air. Uh, but, you know, Texas Tech, again, 13th in the nation in uh, defensive pass rush. Oklahoma State has not been good in Havoc allowed, especially in protecting Spencer Sanders. And the book has always been the same thing on Spencer Sanders. I, If you popped in a podcast from three years ago, you'd hear me say this. Get pressure in Spencer Sanders' face. His adjusted completion percentage takes a major drop. Texas Tech's defense is able to do that. So yeah, that's what they do. They, they'll blitz from everywhere. They'll send yeah. pressures from all over stunts. And yeah, so I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, your boys, Arkansas, traveling to Mississippi State. Mississippi State, nine point favorite here, over under 58. Your boys versus my boys, my Leech, Leech Nation. We failed uh, 
to make our coaching points and our points more compelling than their fat little girlfriends. Now, their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. Will Rogers just got done disposing of Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher, it's going to be a tough ask for Arkansas here. But, I mean, they got to be exhausted, too. Two games that, like, they were in against Alabama and Texas A&M, like they should have beat Texas A&M. Then, you know, they they get back in it against Alabama, and now you, you got to travel again out to Starkville while Mississippi State the past two weeks is, like, chilling. Um, it's a really tough spot, and you probably won't have your quarterback. Yeah. So tell us what that means. I like Mississippi. I don't know if I'll lay nine. They'll, I'll, I'll be on a money line or something, some form or fashion, or I might end up laying it. But how's, how's this going to play out? Jefferson's, I mean, he hasn't been ruled out. He's traveling with a team. The pet, Sam Pittman's cryptic message, or the, the most cryptic messages I've ever heard all week. But uh, go out. what's going on there, and how's this going to play out? Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. I don't really understand what the why we're so hidden about what KJ Jefferson is and his status. They, you know, Sam Pittman comes out before practice on Wednesday and he says, if you practice on Wednesday, then you're on the plane ride to Mississippi State. So they're out there on the field. All the reporters are watching. KJ Jefferson isn't practicing whatsoever. They cut the practice. They go to their indoor facility over there by Barnhill and uh, reporters are peeking in and KJ Jefferson is in pads thrown around. Right. So it's like, we're hiding the aspect that he's throwing the ball around, but at the same time, he's not cleared. And Sam Pittman won't say that he's in concussion protocol. He won't even say the word concussion. So I don't understand what the strategy is here. And there's even more drama after that. Malik Hornsby was supposed to be the backup quarterback. Uh, he, for, he was like rumored to be transferring, right? That they, they right, and, and so the whole word out was he's you know he's immediately going to transfer because he's been passed over by Cade Fortin. There are memes out there popping up all over Arkansas message boards of Malik Hornsby sitting on a stool by himself on the sidelines while Cade Fortin was out there playing against Alabama, and then he just walked off the field at the end of the game, like didn't you didn't want to talk to anybody, not even his teammates or anybody. And so I mean, there's drama all over the place. There has been miscommunication with the coaches. Sam Pittman was not happy with Kendall Brown's offensive play calling in the Texas A&M game. Um, the complete breakdown on defense, which is what got Alabama the cover. You bring in Jalen Milrow. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. This Arkansas defense, I, I could go over how bad they are tackling, coverage, special teams, rushing against rush explosiveness and pass explosiveness. They're now bottom 10. And what I'm staring at defensively and passing downs, they're outside top 119. I, it, I can't even talk about how bad. It looks like I'm looking at a MAC team and we're trying to dissect a Tuesday night game. That's how bad this defense is on paper. So, you know, you go back to Mississippi State, slow, methodical, high in success rate, not explosive. There is a reason that under took a lot of money today from 59 and a half. We're down to 57. 55 is key if you still want to go under. Cade Fortin is a non-scholarship quarterback, and he has passed over Malik Hornsby, and he's the expected quarterback for Arkansas in this game. Um, it's not going well in Razorback Nation. So I would say avoid the spread, play the under, look for a shot to get Mississippi State live. Uh, the number is pretty inflated now, even with Cade Fortin in there, but there is no love for Arkansas. I'd, I'd probably have to have 14 to play Cade Fortin. Is Arkansas going to play this slow? 
I think so. Uh, Just run the ball and try to keep it out of Mississippi State's hands. Run the ball and save health for the remaining SEC schedule. Because if you don't have KJ Jefferson, your probability of winning is extremely low and you need this roster for upcoming games. They can still get back up on the horse, but the defense has shown no improvement whatsoever week after week. And, uh, you know, I like the under here, but uh, Arkansas has got to do their part. You convinced me. I'll be, I, I can see it because Mississippi State's really slow and methodical, too. Yeah. They're not like throwing bombs, which is just killed Arkansas. All right, I'll play it small here. Oh, there's a 58 and a half out there. All right, last game on the rundown Texas AM and Alabama. Alabama, 24 point favorite, over under 51. Max Johnson won't play. It'll be Haynes King. I, we don't know the status of Bryce Young. It could be Milrow, who's not a polished passer, but freak athlete. Uh, this is uh, this is Bama, Bama, Bama for me. I mean, Haynes King is going to get the start for Texas A&M, who also lost their top playmaker at receiver for the year. Can, can I tell you about Haynes King's stats this year? <laughs> uh, here's his – he played Sam Houston State, and he threw two picks. He, threw, he played App State. He was 13-20 for 97 yards. 13 of 20, 97 yards. Last week against Mississippi State, 6 of 13, 49 yards, two picks. Good Lord. Good luck to him against Nick Saban with revenge. And by the way, Nick Saban with revenge. He's played 15 teams that have beat him the previous year, which Texas A&M did last year. 14 and 1 straight up, 11 and 4 against the spread. 73.3% covering by about a touchdown per game. And I'm going to tell you what, if I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? The only uh, quarterback to ever beat him back in, in a second year was uh, Chad Kelly, the GOAT, um, at Ole Miss. But here's what's really crazy. You know, Saban just boils, boils in these games. And you're putting all the preseason comments that Jimbo had on top of that. How's how's this? Uh, in the games that Alabama was favored in, in these revenge spots of – by more than 10 points, which they obviously are here. They're 6-0 against the spread, covering by 9 points per game. Nobody wants to win more than the players that play, so that you can be entertained. But the craziest part is Saban never lets up in these spots. In those six games, all against SEC teams that beat him the year before, do you know what the second half total scoring margin was in those six games? 130-27. to Six SEC teams in blowouts managed 27 total points in the second half. One of them was an Auburn kick return for a touchdown. In all of those blowouts, six blowouts against SEC teams with revenge, Saban's teams allowed seven total points in the fourth quarter. One, they're not going to let Texas A&M score. They're going to keep his defense in the whole game. I don't know if Haynes King could score on the backups. So I'm looking at Texas A&M team total under... If Bryce Young can't go, it does hurt the upside of Alabama because just it'll be easier for Texas A&M to defend them, and they'll be more like three and outs. There's higher variance. But Texas A&M, their defense, their secondary was going to be good this year, even though it got ripped apart with mistake. They're replacing everyone up front with a bunch of five-star guys, and they've been bad. They can't stop anybody. Uh, I'm going to lay it with Alabama. I'm going to look at Texas A&M team total under. And then you know what I'm going to look at, which might have be the best bet, is if Alabama's up 28 nothing at the half, bet Alabama again for the second half because they're not going to let up. And the line will probably assume that they will, and it'll look at the pregame line 
I don't I don't know how Haynes King is going to score here. For all you self-absorbed folks out there that can't look past your own self and have some gratitude. What do you think Jalen Milrow's 40 time is? I mean, 3-9. <laughs> holy cow. When he got free in Razorback Stadium, it was like a lightning bolt went down the sideline. I can't see why Bryce Young plays this game. He's listed as game time decision. Let's go back. Let's backtrack to a week ago. Nick Saban comes out and says, offensively, we always have a philosophical approach to how we're going to attack opposing defense. Nick Saban's the shark in the water and he smells blood and he wants to pounce on Jimbo, maybe get him fired and maybe get that $90, $90 million buyout going. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, from a narrative angle, it's fun to say like Saban is going to absolutely blow this game. out. Okay. But how is he going to do it? Why would you subject Bryce Young in a game with a spread this big when your defense could take over and easily win this game by itself? So I expect Jalen Milrow to be the starter. I expect him to play. But let's talk about the philosophical aspect of this. Why would Nick Saban throw one single pass in this game? Texas A&M's rush defense is horrific. 111th in rushing success rate on defense, 109th in line yards, 100th defensively in stuff rate. They can't stop the run. And the Jalen Milrow zone read, it's perfect. It is a perfect attack against this Texas A&M defense. And if they miss one tackle, which they're 52nd in tackling, you know, he'll take off. There'll be scores. They'll be fine. I don't know how much they're going to run Jameer Gibbs. But look at the schedule. Who does Alabama play next week? Tennessee. What is Tennessee's biggest weakness? The secondary. I wouldn't throw a single pass against Texas A&M. I would keep it all off film. I keep Bryce Young healthy because the way that you're philosophically going to go into the Tennessee game is to attack the secondary. So I do think this game is completely going to be on the ground for Alabama. I'm not sure if that makes the scoring slower because Texas A&M is going to give up explosives and they're going to miss some reads by Jalen Milrow uh, and he's going to take off. But at the same time, I agree with Stock. There is no letting up in the score. I don't think there is going to be any let up by this defense. Um, they're out for blood. But Saban's going to be calling a timeout if it's like fourth and goal at the one for yeah. Texas a with a minute to go. Yeah, this isn't Saban taking on a former assistant that he – this isn't Kirby, right? I mean, <laughs> this isn't Lane. This is Jimbo Fisher who uh, had some pretty derogatory things to say over the summer, which were, in my opinion, pretty uncalled for. But you would agree, Texas A&M team total under. Like, how do they get the two touchdowns? I don't see Alabama is, I mean, they don't fumble the ball and allow other teams to, like, create havoc. So, I just, I don't see how Texas A&M scores either. I really don't. Uh, Which quarter, which player is going to score? Aeneas Smith is gone. Max Johnson was playing decent. He's gone. I don't know who how they score. With who? Yeah, I'll side with Saban here going for the shutout. All right, Kyle, let's move on to... I said you finally got right. You finally, you said San Diego State over. It yeah. went over despite San Diego State's quarterbacks. They combined to go, I think, three of sixteen for eight yards. That's not a joke, by the way. San Diego State Boise went over, and the San Diego State they played three quarterbacks. I got to look up the exact stats. The San Diego State quarterbacks went a combined. I mean, this is just hysterical. I I, I remember looking at it last week and was thought it was a typo. Two of 16 for 33 yards and an interception. Two of 16. And it went over. That's what it took, Colin. Uh, I, I, I even feel bad making you do this. 
What do you got over under in the worst game ever? And it's the late night game between Hawaii. I don't know if Hawaii's bottom, by the way. Hawaii's floor is Hawaii's catching 21 and a half against the San Diego State offense. Yeah. Looks like Burmeister will go. He was banged up. Over under 48. Over's taking steam. What do you got? Over or under? Well, uh, as of the latest injury report, Braxton Burmeister practiced after leaving the game last week with a head injury. It appears to make him available this week. He was officially called day-to-day. Backup Kyle Crum is going to have surgery for a broken collarbone. He'll miss four to eight weeks. And Louis Amave was working as a backup. Listen, Braxton Burmeister is playing. This is a San Diego State over. Uh, That news is actually what shot it up from like 45 and a half up to 48. Uh, I do believe San Diego State can do their part to get their points. But when I look at Hawaii, I mean, you got to look at Hawaii's stat sheet. Like they're 130th and everything on defense. It's bad. And offensively, there's a lot of things outside the top 100 also. I don't know how Hawaii is going to score. But I will say San Diego State will do their part. So whether that is a San Diego State team total over or it's a full game over. I need an over or under call. It's not an under. It's an over. Aztec overs. By the way, before we move on here, shout out to our group of five guys on the group of five deep dive. The episode that comes out the day before ours, they went five and one on their sides and totals last week. So make sure you check them out. They always do an incredible job. Uh, before we get to three and out, let's go stink of the week. I'm going to do a quick dumpster dive. Mm, what's that smell? It stinks. What do you mean? This trash. The sweet, sweet trash. The trash is a gold mine. Gold mine. Now everyone's clamoring for these now. And I promise you, they will not be on the week that they go like 0 and 6, and you got to sit there and lose money on the worst teams. All right. Uh, New Mexico plus three and a half against Wyoming. Yeah. Right, Wyoming's a fraud. New Mexico's beat them by, they were double digit dogs the last two years and beat them. Danny Gonzalez and this defense has a Craig Bowles number. Uh, I'll take the three and a half here against a bad, bad Wyoming. Defense, offense, the best unit on the field will be New Mexico's defense. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. And the fact that New Mexico flamed out in the second half against UNLV makes me think a New Mexico first half money line might actually be worth a play here. I'm with you on this. Uh, We'll see if it makes the cut for the round robin on the show Saturday. Yeah, New Mexico, I'm not as worried about that. I think New Mexico died down because they were just at LSU and they were on a short week. Right. Um, on their second straight road game. You know, they've been playing better. They blew out UTEP. They could have beat you, you know, they, but they have an extra day now of prep. And then, you know, it wasn't LSU. They were playing, you know, and Wyoming's a snail. So like, I'm, it's like, and New Mexico's a snail. I'm like, no one's going to get tired in this game. Three, the total's like 35, by the way. This, I mean, I like, I actually kind of like, I make the total 33. So get, give me, yeah, of course I'm taking the three and a half points here. Akron plus 11 against my Ohio Bobs. Ohio's beat up. On defense, Ohio defense is already horrendous. They give up like 60 to, to Fordham. It's just a terrible spot. You know, it really sucked last week for Ohio future. I had some like 20 to 1, 25 to 1 to win the MAC. They got Kent State in overtime last week. That's the game they needed to win to steal that game for the division. They stayed, they had them. And by the way, they, you know, Ohio gave up 780 yards to Kent State in that game. <laughs> and it was 24 all at the end of regulation. Kent State had 780 yards. <laughs> Fordham, Fordham, by the way, against Ohio, a game that didn't go to overtime, had 670 yards against Ohio. So uh, this is just a devastating spot after that devastating loss to Kent State. 
because I think it's a sleepy spot against Akron. I'll take the 11. Well, don't forget about the elite Penn State offense that also went for 572 against this Ohio defense. I can't argue with you. You know, Akron's covered two straight against Bowling Green and Liberty. You know, that's enough for me to say, yeah, let's roll on with this. And the final one. (laughs) It's the biggest dumpster of them all. We are laying points with the UConn Huskies uh, at FIU. My case is FIU is real, 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 real bad. UConn is improving. FIU doesn't even have pads. I think they've just played three straight road games. They're coming home. There's no home home field advantage. FIU last week, you know you know how much time I, – I wrote this game up. You know how much time I had to spend finding out, like, what happened in this game, finding clips? There's not a lot of info. F- yeah. FIU came out, and they usually pass. They ran, like, this read option with a slow quarterback. New Mexico State was just not prepared for it. They – they, multiple times, FIU scored on like third and longs when New Mexico State didn't have 11 guys on the field. They were running guys off the field. Jerry Kill was living. I don't know what New Mexico State was doing the week leading up to that. And then on the defensive side of the ball, FIU just bloated. They just put 10 guys in the box and said, we're, you got to throw it because New Mexico State can't throw it and they couldn't complete a pass. Is that, like They just kind of shocked them. New Mexico State was just drunk. FIU has the, the, strength, the worst strength of schedule in the country. And they've been this bad. UConn's played like a powerhouse schedule. They have a top 30 strength of schedule. And they just beat Fresno. I know it was their backup. But um, I've liked what I've seen from UConn. I think because FIU won last week, you're getting this under a touchdown. I think it should be over a touchdown. We're lining it with UConn. Yeah, I have UConn minus eight in the power ratings. And uh, one of the sharp books that you and I respect has blown through this five, five and a half and up to six. Who am I to argue fading a Florida international team that I saw open up the season and get pushed around by Bryant. Uh, I, th- that was all I needed to see. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess. I'm not sure if I'm there with you. I think it's going to be a lot of points. So, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe playing over here. But, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Justin from Reading. Yo, stuck. If I listen to you one more time on anything involving UConn, I'm coming after you. Take it easy. Four for four, baby. Agreeing on the dumpster. Um, all right, let's go. Three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, we're going to start with uh, our favorite bet. Uh, I'll kick things off here with South Carolina. I They were 10 and a half. I got some 10 and a half, some 10. I still like it at seven, six and a half. But wait, you're at six and a half now. You're going to see if Will Levis is out. But... He's rumored to be out. He might have a boot on. If he is, it's going to be a freshman in there. I've been low in Kentucky all year. Their offensive line is a mess. And now you're not going to have Will Levis, who I think is overrated, like he should be the number one pick, but he's still an NFL quarterback. And now you're going to go to a, a freshman, and the offense is just going to be a train wreck. This is a phenomenal spot for South Carolina. A phenomenal. I wrote about this in my spot in my piece earlier in the week. South Carolina, a lot of their defensive metrics are so bad. They were down like eight starters for a lot of games. They've had two weeks to prepare for this and get healthy. They had Charlotte and then South Carolina State. Meanwhile, Kentucky just had Ole Miss. They had Miss State on deck. This is a huge game for South Carolina. This is I, – I, I think South Carolina's going to have a really good chance to win outright, especially if Levis is out. This is my, my favorite bet on Saturday. Give me the Gamecocks who are healthier across the board. Like most of their starters are going to play on defense. They lost two for the year. The others should be back. Their tackle should be back. One of their receivers should be back. Really fresh – Ready to go here. Uh, I like South Carolina. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Navy. This is a team that we backed last week because their defense is on the upswing. It's something that we didn't think was going to show up with this team. But all of a sudden, they are the second best team in the nation in defensive finishing drives. What does that mean? Any opponent that gets within the 40-yard line, severely limited in scoring opportunities, one of the lowest rates in the nation of anybody trying to test this Navy defense. And this Tulsa offense has not been great whatsoever in anywhere except for the passing game. So that, you know, that decreases with the efficiency the closer that you get to the goal line. This Navy defense is 10th in line yards. I don't expect anything on the ground from the Tulsa offense, which is a balanced 50-50. But more importantly, you know, Navy, in, from a stuff rate perspective, is going to completely dominate this game. They're going to have their way on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, <laughs> Navy is uh, what we thought was dead to the podcast. Uh, they're covered two straight. And I expect them to cover here against the Tulsa team. Game that I project to be Navy plus two is uh, high up around six, five and a half. I think it's good all the way down to a field goal. Well, yeah, I, I would lean that way too. I'm, I'm going to dig into that game some more, and I think I may be joining you. All right, moving on to second down. Let's talk our favorite overdog, a.k.a. our favorite favorite. I'll kick things off here. I'm going to go Florida, minus 10.5 at home against Missouri. Miserable spot for Missouri. Uh, look, they they just they had a devastating loss at Auburn. Which I, I don't know. In overtime, I don't know how they lost. Then they picked themselves up, respond with a ridiculous effort against Georgia, are leading most of that game, take them right to the wire, like exhausting effort. Back-to-back weeks, emotionally, physically draining. Now you got to go to the swamp uh, on the road against a Florida team that basically had a bye. They played Eastern Washington. They played 85 kids in a blowout. And I think this is a really good matchup for Florida because Missouri's offense is bad. Florida's defense has been bad. Kind of neutralizes itself there. Florida's Anthony Richardson has been better of late. Missouri only faced one mobile quarterback this year, Adrian Martinez, and they got destroyed i think they were down 40 to nothing at one point to kansas state little misleading score but i think florida can have success here in a great spot florida lost by one in overtime last year dan mullen gets fired right after Drakewitz is talking shit the players are talking shit florida wants this game up until last year the previous eight they play every year were all decided by 17 plus i think this one gets ugly again i think florida jumps out missouri is not the type of team that's ever going to come back to get back into a game and uh yeah i think the extra time the extra prep rest really helps florida here for two coaches that are really familiar with each other these are ex sunbelt guys so give me the gators chomp chomp yeah i'm gonna go with usc as my favorite favorite and you say whoa yeah like this was supposed to be a team that we fade on this podcast listen there's a time to fade usc and this week isn't it I would take the Trojans at 12 and a half, 13 up to 14. And considering what this Washington State defense, which has numbers that look really good on paper, but these passing defense numbers came against Wisconsin, Colorado State, Cal. Uh, Bo Nix got 446 yards up. Cal went for 280 passing in the air. I mean, for USC to beat Utah next week, they have to be able to sling it against a 425 defense. Well, guess what? Jake Dickert at Washington State runs a 4-2-5. I think USC is absolutely going to have a scrimmage here. They're going to learn how to detect signals, uh, you know, defensive coverage schemes, blitzes, everything from a 4-2-5 defense they get out of Washington State. 
I think USC is going to roll and play all four quarters here. And Caleb Williams is not going to see a pass rush. He, he has just a completion percentage, has a huge drop from 81% down to 60% when he has a crowded pocket. Washington State is one of the worst teams in the nation applying pressure on quarterbacks from a pass rush and a havoc perspective. And Washington State, you know, right now, 60% pass or 84th in rushing success rate. The key to beating this USC defense we saw from Oregon State is a ground game. USC is going to roll here because Washington State has no ground game whatsoever, and they throw 60% of the time. Give me USC, 12 and a half, 13, doesn't matter. This is my favorite favorite. Um, you know, a four-two-five defense that they need practice against before they go play Utah next week. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully that turnover regression doesn't hit, and then it can hit. Yeah, for you next week all at once against Utah. So yeah, we're on USC East and USC West. Our two favorite overdogs are Florida and USC. Favorite bets are South Carolina and Navy. And we have one final order of business on third down. And that's our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Last week you suggested we switch the order and we finally hit. Yeah. I had Troy. You had TCU. Yeah. It all worked out. We have to keep that same order. So you kick things off. Where are you going? Well, sadly, we're no longer able to use TCU in this segment. Uh, it was making us look like a genius. So I'm going to flip over. and I'm going to do LSU. I already talked about it on the podcast. There are major advantages in the trench on both sides of the ball. That offensive line for LSU is fortified by Garen Dellinger coming back. Left guard, he's their best offensive lineman. That's going to give Jaden Daniels time to throw a pass against a very poor Tennessee secondary that is allowing – a lot of explosive plays. And when you look at like some of the Mac teams and some of the quarterbacks they've faced from Pitt, uh, it's not a good look for what Tennessee's done on defense in the secondary. And Brian Kelly has publicly called out his quarterback and asked him to do a little bit more. The problem is he's been kind of inaccurate and there's been a lot of drops from the wide receivers, particularly booty. So what I'm looking for is LSU to absolutely dominate the trench they're going to stop the run from the Tennessee offense, which is the only way Tennessee can compete in this game is if they stay ahead and down a distance and keep the chains moving. That rushing attack is going to run into a wall against the LSU. You take out Cedric Tillman as a weapon from Hendon Hooker. That's severely going to limit what they're going to be able to do in passing downs and just weapons on the outside in general where you can take advantage of some LSU players. So I love LSU plus three here. I think they win outright. So, uh, you know, me getting to go first, hopefully I'm right. It's one of the first games of the day. So uh, hopefully it'll get us to the window, but I love it here playing at home. Uh, trench warfare obviously favors LSU all the way. Well, I disagree, but you've been better at these this year than I have. So who am I to question you? I just came, I just got to the party last week for the first time and you've been here for the entire season, but I'm going to go late night. Um, and I'm going to go to the West Coast. I'm going to take Stanford, money, a team that hasn't covered 11 straight games. They're 0-11 against the spread in their last 11. I'm not even going to – I do have them to cover, but I'm also going to take them to win. They're not, so I do, not only do I need them to cover for the first time in 12 games, uh, I need them to win outright, but I think they have a really good shot here. I think this is the bottom of the market for Stanford. I, it's also a great spot. You have Oregon State, quarterback questions of their own. They really missed their tight end, too. Um, who's a leading receiver through the first two games, and he's now out with an injury. But they're coming off the game 
against USC, like they probably should have won. And they go to Utah. It's a mess. It gets out of late, gets out of hand late. Now they go to Stanford, really sleepy spot here. Stanford has been really bad in a couple aspects here, which has made their scores just balloon. And they played some really good teams. I mean, they've played three top 25 teams already. But if you look at Stanford, what has happened is their offensive line. Their offensive line has been a disaster. They're running this new offense. It's new mesh point offense, kind of like wake-ish. You need time. You need time to do anything. And Tanner McKee has not had it. And he has great weapons, a great arm. I think that they're finally solved some of the issues. Two of their offensive linemen starters who've been out since the USC game might come back this week. Or I just should say one of them. Another one got hurt, but he had a move from right guard to right tackle. He's only good at right guard. The right tackles that they've had in were I go to the Washington game. Guy had a passing grade of one. Never seen anything like it. Last game against Oregon, their guard that moved the tackle got hurt, and he was awful. They put this kid in for his first collegiate action, and he was awesome. He's been with their highest-rated offensive lineman. So they should get their regular tackle back, I think. But if not, this kid held his own. And more importantly, who did they who did they play so far this year? Washington, Oregon, and USC. Washington and USC are top 10 sack rate in the nation. Oregon, good D-line. These, these teams all get pressure. You know what Oregon State does not do? Get pressure. They do not get any pressure. They ranked 120th in sack rate last year. Guess where they are this year? 120th. So finally, Stanford will get a little break here and have and McKee will have some time to operate. And uh, I think Stanford's really live here. Uh, full transparency. I wrote this up on Action Network. You know, go and read it. Uh, Stanford, worst turnover margin in the nation. We said USC is going to come down from the best turnover margin. Stanford's going to come back up. And by the way, those turnovers that they've all committed, none of the only two of them came from Tanner McKee. Uh, I mean, that Stanford absolutely is the play here. I love it, Stuck. I, I think we're going to cash. There you go. That'll do it for us. Thanks, as always, to Colin for joining me. Thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Uh, thanks, as always, to our video and audio team, producer Matt Mitchell. And don't forget about the voicemail, 959-BAD-BEAT. Don't forget about our live show, Big Bets on Campus, presented by BetMGM, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Saturday morning. We'll tweet out the link. Leave a review, five-star review. They really help us out. We'll do giveaways for the voicemail callers. Get cash, call of the week. Uh, Jack, I think I still have to pay Jack. Uh, I'll, I'll pay you tonight here. Um, but call of the week. Don't forget about the voicemails. I wish everyone luck. It's time for us to go find some last minute winners. We'll see you on the live show Saturday morning. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.